Thanks for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host, Priya Rao, Executive Editor at Glossy. And today's guest is Vaseliki Petru, the group CEO and EVP of Unilever Prestige. Welcome, Vaseliki. How are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you. I'm excited to be talking to you today. We're so excited. So, Vaseliki, for our listeners, where are you right now? I'm in London, and it's 2.15 afternoon. So, um, Vaseliki, you know, Unilever has such an incredible, incredible and huge business internationally and here in the States. So when did you start feeling the effects of COVID and when did you start thinking that this could really be uh, an international pandemic? We definitely felt it from China early on, right? Because we are a global business. We are connected with our colleagues in Asia And we were looking at it very closely as things uh, started to unfold, you know, in China, um, uh, getting advice, learnings, uh, but also supporting our teams over there. Because uh, while uh, Asia is not, uh, let's say, new, right, uh, to a kind of viruses, like there was the SARS epidemic in the past, etc., etc., there were a lot of signs that this was going to be a bit different, right? and much more global uh, versus what has happened before. And I think we definitely have all felt that there is a lot of white space, uncharted territory, right, that we need to create as a business on how first and foremost to look after the safety of our employees, then obviously the safety of our consumers, and then um, how do we move on into a new reality managing with optimism, but also caution, if it makes sense. Right, right. So were there any um, specific examples, you know, whether from the Asia business or kind of the Asia response that you thought um, you should carry over to your other regions or whether it's the States or the UK? Was there anything that kind of helped you maybe triage in a different way than a company that's not as international as Unilever? Absolutely. I think a lot uh, um, about Unilever has been led uh, also by our CEO as a role model. Uh, He is a person who takes safety really, really um, in a very, in a very, in the biggest priority, if you know what I mean. So safety was everything that was talked about from uh, day one, uh, pretty much. And uh, Unilever was the first, co- I don't know if we're the first company, but one of the first companies where actually we went into a lockdown much earlier than the governments were advising. And that has helped us, you know, uh, to plan safely, uh, have uh, programs ready, right, for our employees, uh, but also how do we look after our consumers? How are we going to um, prepare and plan our communication internally, but also externally. Um, and uh, it, it's a very, um, I would call it risk averse for a good reason, uh, because uh, uh, it kind of uh, puts people ahead of profit, you know, ahead of anything else. And uh, it has definitely rolled modeled um, a lot of great behavior and principles that we normally talk in Unilever. But as you know, in crisis, it's when the talk gets real. You know, it's when you have to showcase the talk versus just uh, talk it. Right, exactly. How do you think um, 
communicating as a leader has changed. You know, obviously you're not with your teams every single day. You're not, you know, maybe meeting with um, brands every single day or even, you know, you know, your CEO. So what has that been like? Just, you know, the the widespread Zoom culture, I guess you could say. Um, to be honest with you, because we are a global business, so we've always been used to having Zooms or Microsoft Teams, whatever, you know, every company is using in its day-to-day communication. So that has not been much of a difference. Uh, I think um, the cultural mindset and the mental mindset, right, of people working from home as the new norm has been definitely a mindset change versus what we used to do. Uh, and I think it's it's definitely a mindset. On the positive, it has um, accelerated a lot of uh, muscle, especially in the way of doing e-commerce, right? Uh, a digital muscle, right. which we were always strengthening, but we have to accelerate uh, by the new reality. And uh, actually, it's been a very good muscle because we have brought a lot of... Um, uh, high touch, uh, humanity, you know, in our digital operations. Uh, I'm thinking more on e-commerce and, uh, you know, we were the first, uh, one of the first companies to do online consultations with consumers and consumers really welcomed that because they saw the human face behind the brands versus just, you know, a brand talking out there. Uh, but also, I think on a personal basis and uh, with my teams, um, it definitely brought a very human face uh, uh, to our communications because you could see people, you know, calling in from their homes, whether it's the dining room or their bedroom, you know, depending on uh, what uh, apartment or house they have in. We would see the kids with pets, you know, partners. So I really think... Um, it, w- it has been a much more enriching experience where humanity has been at the forefront, uh, both uh, in a personal employee kind of interaction, but also externally with our customers. Right, right. What about um, the e-commerce piece of it, you know, for your brands? You know, Unilever Prestige is kind of this crown jewel. I mean, everybody's always kind of talks about the brands in your portfolio, whether it's Tatcha or Murad. Um, you know, it's it's you know kind of this incubated, like I said, crown jewel within the portfolio. So, how have they kind of um, responded, or how have you been leading the charge in digital there? Thank you for saying that. We definitely take a lot of pride in our string of pearls. We call it and. Um, <laughs> approach to business. Uh, We are definitely a purpose-driven business and purpose is very much at the heart of our brands. Uh, What motivates us is to make uh, a big social impact uh, on the world, whether it's the planet um, through good environmental practice, uh, but also socially. And all of our brands have a very deep purpose about uh, making a positive change, uh, whether it's the economy, uh, teaching, education, giving back, uh, a lot of community programs, etc., etc. Uh, but back to answering your question, for us, it was very vital to talk our purpose, you know, because in the past, uh, there was always this dialogue, you know, how much do you communicate your product innovation? How much do you talk about your purpose? And it became very clear that uh, it was the stories of the brands and what we were doing all along 
that was of primary interest uh, to the consumers, uh, to our customers. Uh, so that became really the core of the subject matter and what we were communicating early on. And uh, then it became very clear pretty quickly uh, that uh, people were looking for engaging, relevant content. It sounds uh, intuitive, but sometimes, you know, when you have an innovation calendar and you need to launch X initiative, suddenly you realize, well, maybe that X initiative is not as relevant because, you know, COVID has happened in between. So trying to be agile and offering engaging but relevant content and being willing, you know, to change your plans in rapid speed, uh, it was one of the biggest learning curves that I believe the teams uh, have learned but did very quickly. And uh, obviously I'm proud of them to kind of shift when the shift is happening. Um, and the third one was... Uh, really moving pretty quickly with online consultations. Uh, we did not uh, furlough any of our employees, uh, so we swiftly uh, moved uh, them into, instead of being in the stores, now doing more online consultations uh, with our consumers. A lot of uh, them are licensed skincare therapists, so there is a lot of expertise uh, that they can offer. Uh, during online consultations and uh, people have appreciated that uh, a lot uh, um, because it's uh, giving expertise when expertise is needed versus just pushing product, if you know what I mean. Right. Right. You know, it's funny. We we actually, I've spoken to Michelle at Murad quite a bit recently. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And she's actually going to be on an episode of our podcast coming up soon. And, you know, mm. it was very interesting to talk to her about, you know, the, the, balance of do you launch a product, do you not launch a product, how do you talk to consumers right now? Exactly. And, you know, from your perspective, I mean, were you really juggling a lot of, you know, launches and, you know, was it kind of like a wait and see or what were you kind of advising your brands to do? I know some of them, you know, have a very um, measured product calendar launch, like Tatcha, for instance. But, you know, Beauty is known for new launches every month and kind of yes. really exciting the customer that way. So what was your strategy or approach there? I'm, I am a big believer on uh, actually core and iconic products. I truly believe as well in innovation. We're an innovation-led uh, industry, right? But uh, I truly believe that uh, in the past years, uh, we have lost the balance between uh, the iconic products and innovation. And sometimes we were doing innovation for the sake of new, right? Versus right. talking about beautiful iconic products that exist across the brands. You know, Dermalogica is an example. You know, they have so many iconic products, whether it's, you know, the microfoliant, the double cleanser, you know, whole new categories that were created under Dermalogica and Touch. Every single brand has their heritage products. And we always talk, you know, uh, Chanel is a great example, right? Uh, Chanel is Chanel and uh, um, the iconic perfumes, you know, that never get changed. So I truly believe uh, that uh, this new reality has helped uh, uh, the business and consumers to reappreciate, you know, uh, the proven big iconic products versus just jumping on the next new product. Uh, so you, I feel good about that. Do you think that um, 
some of that was very much pushed by retailers. And now that, you know, you're able to really ramp up, you know, your digital operations, your digital prowess that maybe be able to be able to be highlighted a little bit more. Cause you know, retailers always want new, new, new to yeah. bring people no, into definitely. stores. There is always a push uh, by retailers to offer new because, you know, if you think from their perspective, uh, they also want to excite their customers, right? With new, uh, what's new, what's happening? Uh, come to the stores, discover X, Y, Z. And these are definitely conversations we've had with retailers, you know, how much the core, the iconic, and how much the new. And there are always healthy debates, right, between the <laughs> two. But I think they as well... Uh, uh, during this crisis have seen the power of the iconic, the power of the core products, uh, because in crisis, definitely people tend to uh, go back to the bigger, credible, iconic products versus, let's say, the more discovery ones, because they feel more uh, consumers want to go to a safe haven, if it makes sense, versus kind of uh, just discovering what's out there. Uh, the balance. I'm a, I'm a big believer of balance, right? You've got to have the core and you've got to have the new, but not at the expense of each other. When you the balance is off, then not the best optimal experience happens. Uh, color cosmetics is a category that also has yeah. proven that. Remember, color cosmetics for the last two years pre-COVID was suffering, especially in the US, because there was so much... Uh, innovation or lack of it you know some people call it innovation but it wasn't really great uh, innovation so people just uh, amassed uh, more palettes so more palettes exactly then everything went full and then the market went down then people started you know promoting right left and center and the whole industry did not do well and that's why I believe healthy balance and finding the sweet spot uh, is what uh, can encourage true disruptive innovation and also space to just talk about beautiful, iconic products. Right. Do you think that because Unilever Prestige has such a um, foothold in skincare, that's even more true? Because, you know, I think people are willing to be a little bit more you know, flippant or, or, you know, shop around for color. But when it comes to skincare, they want the efficacy, they want the results and the trust seems to matter so much more. Do you find that with your brands? Um, definitely skincare is a category as you described it. People look for clinical results or results, right? Maybe not always clinical. It can be natural results, but definitely it's a results-driven category. Um, on color cosmetics, um, we, are, we are lucky to have our glasses, one of our beautiful brands, uh, because it's a high-performance brand. Uh, it has amazing mm -hmm. technology and uh, disruptive innovation, game-changing innovation, whether it's their mascara or confession lipstick um, or the ambient lights uh, that they have done. Um, but it is true on what you say. I think in color cosmetics, because also it depends on the demographic, right? On the age group, etc. People are willing to just uh, play, right? A bit more versus play with their skin because skin <laughs> is a little bit more serious and more visible when you get it wrong, you know? Right. 
Right. So then I have to ask Vaseliki, you know, there's been a lot of rumors in the press, like, you know, what is your approach then to M&A kind of going forward? What do you, what are you interested in? What categories, you know, what can you share there? Sure. Um, I, I love M&A. Obviously, it's a division that we have done through M&A. We have a very, I call it forward thinking approach to M&A, much more humbly, you know, future fit, because we have also the luxury to choose that are the companies, right, that we want to partner with. And purpose is obviously what is um, at the center of everything we do. Uh, we're always about founder-led uh, future fit brands. Uh, purpose is very important and it's important to be at the core of the brands. Um, we are always looking, right, at new business models, new approaches, um, whether um, there is a big idea that is globally relevant. Uh, I'm definitely looking at all categories and uh, maybe not fragrances for the time being, because uh, over time, uh, fragrances have got a bit commoditized. Uh, that is changing now a little bit. Uh, but also we're looking at our priorities, right? Because we can't do everything uh, uh, at the same time. Uh, but definitely we are open uh, to the categories. It's all about finding a great brand with a true purpose and with a mission to change the world. Uh, this is kind of what motivates us. So you can't tell me anything specifically about Charlotte Tilbury, can you, Vosaliki? <laughs> I can't, I can't. I know there are all the rumors always about us. Uh, some are true, some are not, you know. So we, <laughs> never, we never really talk about the many because we're a public company. So we are of not course. really allowed. <laughs> <laughs> we'll call Alan. We'll see if Alan lets us talk I about it next time. I don't think you know, Vasiliki, I have to ask, you know, when it comes to M&A in this division specifically, you know, your approach is very different than, say, an Estee Lauder companies or a L'Oreal group or, yes. you know, and I just want to understand a little bit from where you sit, you know, what do you think differentiates what you do from, say, some of the other conglomerates out there trying to establish similar business models? Sure, I can talk about what we do, right? Because that's what I know best. And then obviously you can judge whether this is different <laughs> or not, you know, to the other companies. Uh, but we definitely believe in the role of the founder. Uh, we are very much uh, um, a company that embraces the founder. We believe the founder is the soul of the brand. It's at the core of the brand. And ultimately what we're trying to do is deliver the global vision of the founder. Um, and that's why purpose is very core to what we do, because we believe that purpose is sacred and we want to be a game changer uh, for society and for the planet. And it's always through big ideas uh, that we can do that, you know, with uh, communities of people, tribes of people that can help change the world. Uh, so that is something quite important. Uh, we definitely keep the companies independent, so we don't, you know, uh, kind of bring them together or, um, uh, you know, put everybody in the same building, stuff like that, uh, that uh, sometimes it happens. And that comes from me. I have this uncompromising vision about keeping uh, authenticity of the brand, the brand's promise, the formula, 
uh, what the brand is going to do, what is it that it's sold versus uh, anything else that would jeopardize, you know, the authenticity and the um, sacred nature of the purpose. Um, I think that's that, really. Uh, it's right. uh, purpose at the core, founder with us on the journey, um, globalizing that vision and having an uncompromising obsession with quality and serving the consumer at all times. I would say right. that's what we do. When you think about the distribution and the globalization piece, like how is that changing now? Because, you know, I, you know, try to talk to Sephora and Ulta or bug them rather quite a bit here in the States. And, you know, I'm really interested to see if the consumer will come back to stores. So how you feel, how do you feel about that when, you know, Tatcha and Murad and Dermalogic have such deep relationships with some of those retailers? Yes, yes. I'm an optimist, uh, definitely, about um, people going back to the stores. And personally, I believe maybe we are over-dramatizing, you know, how much people are going to shift uh, completely into virtual and, you know, stores are going to be empty. I don't think so. And also China has shown that actually people go back to stores pretty quickly People want people, you see. Uh, people are human beings. They want to uh, communicate, yes, whether it's their friends, their communities, their advisors, their experts. Uh, so I truly believe that people will go back to stores. Will people uh, do more virtual versus before? Absolutely, right? Because you kind of got used to whether it was ordering for food or ordering for your hair color or your skincare or whatever it is. Will uh, retail need to reinvent itself a bit more, you know, focus more on experiences, theater, uh, this more uh, human uh, expert face-to-face -face consultation? Absolutely. But I definitely don't think we're looking at the death of retail. Absolutely not. Do you... Um plan or do you think that you might need to become a little bit more strategic or limited with partners, just kind of knowing how wild, wild and wild the, you know, department store model is, the beauty store model. Like, you know, people say, at least here in the U.S., and I think even globally, probably in Europe too, that we're over-retailed. You know, there's too many stores, there's too many opportunities to carry products in all these different stores. Do you think there's an opportunity, at least for your brands, to maybe get a little bit more um, limited in distribution, or do you really think it is about going bigger and wider? So see, because we um, did the division uh, through acquisitions, again, we had a little bit the luxury to choose more future fit uh, business models. So we don't have uh, a legacy into, you know, the let's say the heritage department stores in the US, for example, where there is a lot mm -hmm. of talk about, you know, what's going to happen, etc., etc. So retailers like Sephora, Alta, you know, Space MK in the UK, uh, um, they're here to stay and thrive. I don't see risks uh, to those retailers. Uh, they have, the, and the good thing about them is that they are always very agile, you know, they reinvent themselves. Uh, Mecca, for example, in Australia, another good retailer in that sense, um, they reinvent themselves. Uh, they are always in touch, you know, with what the consumer wants. 
and uh, they pivot. Uh, so I definitely don't think that those retailers will struggle. I'm sure they're happy to hear you say that. <laughs> no, no, I believe in it. For I mean, um, for those people that know me very well, I never say what I don't believe. So I have heard that. I have heard that. I'm definitely an optimist on that. So, you know, Vasiliki, what do you think needs to be uh, demanded or um, expected from the retailers' e-commerce sites? You know, a lot of those sites were very much used for replenishment or, you know, being able to try something for yourself in a store and then just buy your favorite thing over and over. I mean, here in the U.S., like Amazon is known for that. Yes. But, you know, for Sephora and Ulta and Space and K, like you mentioned, you know, how do you think that they can make their e-commerce sites maybe more suitable or exciting for product discovery? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, Yeah, definitely. I think um, two things really. It's uh, content, 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 right? More relevant content versus more product, product, product type of thing. Mm -hmm. People really are looking for real advice and expert advice to uh, get uh, either a problem or a solution, right, to what they're looking for. And then access uh, online to expertise, whether it's uh, chatting to a therapist or chatting to a hairdresser or chatting to an expert, you know, whoever that expert is, uh, I think this is a muscle that was proven to be a good muscle uh, during COVID. And I would predict that the retailers are, will continue to have. Right, right. Do you think that some of... um the opportunity, at least with your brands, and some of them, you know, already have that doctor, medical, um, natural focus to begin with. But this interest in wellness and self-care and health um, and skin health, you know, with so many of your brands um, is going to become more important to talk about. Uh, definitely. Um, again, I believe in authenticity, as I was saying before, and uh, we're lucky again to kind of uh, being able to have chosen the brands that we have partnered with because I truly believe that self-care and wellness and the health need to be intuitive to the brand versus an add-on. Oh, because it's COVID, you know, let's push this angle. I don't believe on add-ons, you know. I truly believe on what is the DNA of the brand? What is the philosophy of the brand? I mean, Dr. Murad, as you probably know, and Michelle will tell you, uh, has been a philosopher, right? Since 25 years ago, uh, he has been talking about uh, wellness, water you eat, mindfulness, being kind to your body. He's written, a bo- he's written books on cultural stress. Can you believe it? Now people are just catching up on cultural stress. Uh, nobody could understand him at that time. Only now, right, his concepts are so modern and relevant. I mean, Dermalogica, you know, trained the skincare therapists about skin health. And uh, actually, uh, they, Jane always talks, it's not about beauty, it's about skin health. You know, it's a very different concept. Then Tatcha, you know, bringing to the world the wellness regimes from Japan and uh, how the women of Japan look after their skin. So I definitely think, um, uh, to go back to your question, wellness is very, mm, it's very topical. It's what people want to hear, a lot of self-care tips and a lot of uh, skin health, right, at the core 
of the discussion, but I truly believe that brands should look at their DNA and their expertise. I wouldn't try to pretend to be somebody you are not, because then you're going to compromise on the identity of who you are. And that's not what consumers want in the end. Right. I mean, I think we're seeing that so much right now. You know, everybody is doing an IG live or, you know, a social media campaign that speaks to wellness all of a sudden. And I say this with quotes, you know, you're seeing me make quote air quotes on the screen, no, Ms. Eliki. Right. I was just, but, you're so right. I was uh, listening to Instagram live of uh, a brand. Uh, of course, I'm not going to name. We never <laughs> say bad things about uh, anybody. Uh, but uh, the consumers were picking up on it immediately. They said, oh, this is so fake. Oh, you know, you don't mean that. And I have to say, I'm always impressed by how the consumer really reads through authenticity. And that's why I truly believe in the modern world, you cannot hide. And that's why I think it's so important to be who you are in a genuine way versus pretending to be somebody that you are not. And the brands that will survive, I really believe it's the brands that have a a true DNA, a true core, and they have a true purpose to leave this planet to a better place than the planet we have inherited. Absolutely. Vaseliki, do you, I know you spend a lot of time with founders when you are, you know, in, in the throes of, you know, courting or, you know, acquiring a brand, but, and I know you do that after the fact as well, but how much of the time now are you actually spending, you know, on social media, reading these comments, watching these lives? Because like, you know, you have so much more access to these brands um, than ever before. I have to say I'm obsessed about (laughs) Reading everything, especially on our brands, I go and read every single comment, you know, about what everybody says. And sometimes I'm frustrated if our brand has not answered immediately, you know, because I believe that um, with this immediacy, when somebody is asking a question, you want to give an answer immediately. So we're getting a little bit better at that. But uh, Definitely, I do. I mean, my CEOs know this because I will always get, you know, the question. <laughs> oh, here she is reading again over the weekend. But uh, I'm truly obsessed because that's the only way you see what's really happening out there. You know, how is the brand engaging with their consumer? Are we meeting their needs? Are we doing things right? Uh, I'm obsessed with being them. Um, sensitive to what the consumer needs and being there to exceed their needs versus just meet their needs, if it makes sense. Right. Last question for you, Vaseliki. You know, we talked a lot about um, the term future-proofing, especially with the brands that you guys have acquired. But, you know, in this time of, you know, so much uncertainty, how are you moving from, you know, say, tactical needs as a leader, you know, getting things launched, getting things from the distribution center, making sure supply chain is correct, to, you know, longer-term vision and what you expect from this portfolio and from these brands for the next, you know, 12 to 18 months? Uh, Thank you for asking. Um, In a couple of ways, I would say, one is uh, definitely what we've talked today, right? How does uh, e-commerce, digital and virtual uh, stays uh, strong, right? Because uh, that is not going away. It, It just will grow stronger. So, uh, being future fit is definitely 
taking that muscle to the next stage. Uh, that's point number one. Uh, point number two is um, purpose, 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 right? Uh, how do we make purpose to be the core of everything we do? How do we do more and then talk more? We are a division which prides itself in doing first, then talking about it versus the other way around, you know? Uh, so how does purpose drive uh, our sustainability agenda, our pledges, you know, um, everything around uh, recyclability, you know, new ingredients, uh, active naturals, regenerative nature, everything, you know, that we're doing in that uh, field. Um, and the third is uh, people, right? What are the future skills, but also the new organization behavior. As you've been reading, probably there is a lot of talk about uh, empathetic leadership, right? Versus mm -hmm. kind of the old style of leadership. And I've been uh, a big advocate of uh, empathetic leadership in that sense. I truly believe um, leading uh, with the energy of the organizations in the center versus just, you know, a different, uh, let's say, moral-fashioned organizational behavior. So uh, being able to listen, right? Listening uh, with empathy, whether it's the consumer or the organization, it's going to be part of that future proofing as well. Vasiliki, one really last question. You know, I have to ask, you know, some of the topics that we've covered today, and I know Unilever has kind of instilled in their core, like sustainability and purpose, you know, these are conversations that have been bubbling up in beauty for probably the last year or two. But, you know, it's some brands, it seems like it's kind of gone out the window during COVID. And, you know, it's all about you know, making sure CapEx and operating expenses are less than they used to be. So how are you balancing that, making sure that those messages don't get lost at this time when, you know, other business pressures may be coming to the forefront? Uh, you're asking a very good question. For us, we have doubled down on everything around sustainability because, again, we believe that we're here to help the planet versus to be a burden on the planet. So we can't be taking a shortcut, you know, because of COVID. A lot of people has, have said COVID has happened because we were not, you know, as vigilant on the sustainability uh, piece uh, uh, so definitely we're not uh, going back. We're going forward and much faster, you know, versus before. And um, this is an area that we're very passionate about helping also the industry uh, to go there faster because I don't think uh, to save the planet, you can do it alone. This is definitely time like COVID, right? When we saw the industry collaborating together, uh, whether it is for masks, you know, gels, you know, uh, uh, helping uh, the frontline people. Uh, sustainability is definitely the next chapter where the industry needs to unite uh, to bring progress faster. Solutions are not going to be individual. Perfect. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank Sal you, Maria. Was, You're amazing. It was, you're amazing. It was so great talking to you. Um, thank you so much, Vasiliki. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, that means if you haven't subscribed, please hit that button.